If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to our sequicentennial. This is the 150th episode of the podcast, which started in January 2021, about, what, 22 months ago. I gotta tell you, it's been quite a journey, and when I started, I didn't really have a clear idea of exactly where it was going and what it was going to look like, but it's grown and it's evolved and it's become something that people are listening to all around the United States and in other countries, and from the emails I get, it's making a difference in a lot of people's lives. So, I want to take this occasion to encourage you to visit the website, consideringcatholicism.com. Even if you've gone there before, we have a brand new website as of last week, with a whole new look and new features. Episodes are categorized by topic. I'm starting to add transcripts for the episodes. And there's new contact options. So, you can always email me at consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. But on the new website, you can not only leave a written message, you can leave a voicemail. So there's like a microphone button, and if you would just like to record a voice message, like a comment or a question, it'll send it to me. On the website, you can subscribe, and we'll be regularly sending out updates and some other stuff, so please do that. And you can leave a review for the podcast on the new website. You can also support the podcast. I mean, there's so much more I'd like to do in the next 100 episodes. More episodes, more topics, different types of episodes, more videos, some written material, more Q&A. But all of that takes time and resources. Now, if you've supported the podcast in the past, thank you. If not, would you consider going to the website and hitting the link that says support the podcast? Now, that link is also on all the episode descriptions on Apple or Spotify. And if you could give a one-time or recurring donation, it will help this to become sustainable and go to the next level. And if you're an organization, a business, or a ministry, I would love to have sponsors and advertisers for the podcast. We can promote your brand, and you can make this sustainable so it's a win-win for everybody. Well, well, anyway, thanks for listening, thanks for your support, and now let's get to episode 150. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I'm sitting here with Corey. Hello. We're not outside now at the secret location because fall has fallen. Yes, it's not quite as comfortable out there, although it's not too bad outside right now, but... It's, it's cold. It's not bad. It's it's a it's a beautiful fall day. It's mm-hmm. getting close to Halloween, which, as we shared with people last week, they can cautiously participate <laughs> in. And so it's just got that wonderful kind of fall. But we've moved indoors today, and we are going to pick up on something that we talked about. You and I talked about last time because we'd had a 
couple of conversations. The, the first one was about UFOs. Yes, yes. And and that led to this whole conversation about the supernatural and and angels. And then we talked about angels, and then we were going to get into demons, but then we ran out of time. And right. so it's been a few weeks, and we're going to come back to that and talk about demons and Satan and the nature of evil in mm-hmm. a couple of conversations here. And so we're going to start in this conversation about just what evil is. So we'll kind of work down from evil to Satan and the demons. Which makes sense as an order of operations. I mean, if you just start with the definition of demons as well, they're evil spirits. Well, what does that, what do the words mean? Exactly. And so let's start this conversation about evil by trying to define what exactly evil is or Mm -hmm. what is evil. And you and I were talking before we started the recorder that in some ways, uh, it's almost easier to start by defining or saying what evil isn't mm-hmm. than starting with what it is. Yeah, because there are a lot of popular conceptions that are sort of adjacent to the truth, but have a lot of um, issues with them that I, th- I think we need to clarify, we need to clear out. Right. I mean, when people imagine evil, they've got some kind of a picture in their mind. Mm-hmm. And so let's just kind of take things we were saying a minute ago, take things off the table. Mm-hmm. And we'll be left with, well, we'll get to that in a minute, what we're left with mm-hmm. when we remove all those things. And let's start with maybe the most culturally popular way to express this. Evil is not the dark side of the force, mm-hmm. like in Star Wars. Right, right. And which is an interesting way to frame it because the idea that you get in the Star Wars universe of the Force, and it's got a, like a light side and a dark side. That idea didn't originate with the Star Wars movies. No, no, no. Ancient, ancient idea, which the Star Wars movies picked up on. So why don't you talk a little bit about that understanding of good and evil as two equal and opposing forces? Yeah, as, as you say, it's an old idea. It has a history in, in the ancient world and also up through medieval and modern times in some some Christian heresies that have, have arisen. Uh, there, there's the, sort of the concept that there's two equal and opposite forces or in some versions of this, even equal and opposite divine beings that represent good or evil or light or dark, yin or yang, however you want to phrase it and that they're kind of locked in a perpetual struggle you could say but also that they sort of balance each other out that's kind of the idea in star wars it's not always very clear what exactly it's not a very coherent religious vision but essentially it's that they're on opposite sides but they're sort of equally strong and sort of fighting for control and that's not what we're talking about or, or that's not the christian the catholic understanding of evil when people talk about this, you may hear a fancy word, mm-hmm. Manichaeism. Yes. You want to talk about Manichaeism? Yeah, so Manichaeism is a religious movement that was around in late antiquity. So, like, it, it was strong before the fall of Rome around that time, three, four hundreds, five hundreds, that approximate time. And it came, pos- from, came from Persia, right? Right, right. And became popular in the Roman Empire as well. St. Augustine famously was passed through a Manichaean phase on his way into the Catholic Church. And so it posited that there were two divine beings, a good God and an evil God or a bad God. And it associated spirit and mind with the good God and all your physical stuff, matter, creation with the bad God. And so spirit, mind, good, stuff, bad and so you try and separate yourself from all of that as much as possible right 
So the essential point here, whether it's the ancient Manichaeism or the modern Star Wars universe, is that is rejected by Christianity, mm-hmm. not just Catholicism, but rejected by Christianity in total, is the notion that the universe or reality is composed of two equal and opposite forces tugging back and forth at each other, and we live somehow in the middle. And in, in the balance, yeah. And it in many ways kind of messes up having some kind of coherent moral calculus because these are both natural things. They're both inherent in the universe. And so in some sense, they're both necessary in this way of thinking. And that's just not how Christians see good and evil at all. Right. Okay. So the first thing we're going to take off the table is that evil is not the equal and opposite force of good. Right. Okay. Second one is this, and this one comes more out of out of my old world, which is a sort of a Calvinistic understanding. Mm-hmm. And within sort of a Calvinistic worldview, evil is understood as a sort of depravity or reprobatism. So God makes a good world. God chooses the elect who are the good people. But all of us are totally depraved. God chooses, in a sense, to rescue some of us. Mm -hmm. But others are not rescued by God. We are fallen hopelessly into sin. And the world that has sort of fallen into sin, that is not in God's favor, that he has chosen not to redeem, chosen not to rescue. Because that's the dark side of Calvinism, right? We're talking Mm -hmm. about dark sides, is, is double predestination. And it's one of the things that led me out of Calvinism because at some point it becomes just an unsustainable notion. And I don't want to, we, yeah, we, we should do a whole other thing on Calvinism, there, but. right? But there, there are certainly biblical passages that Calvinists quote about how God chooses and foreknows and elects the saints. But the sort of flip side of that is if he chooses Corey and he passes over me, he's chosen by not choosing me to send me to hell. Mm-hmm. And so the sort of Calvinistic notion is that there is this depravity of sin that grips us all except those that God has by grace and faith rescued. Mm-hmm. And the world is kind of depraved. You know, I remember being in seminary, Calvinist seminary, and having a systematic theology professor try to describe Catholicism and Thomas Aquinas to us. And I remember sitting in class that day just really being kind of perplexed by his explanation because he's like, well, you know, Catholics and Thomas Aquinas doesn't think that everything has fallen into depravity, that, you know, mankind can use his reason and reason out what is good and all these kinds of things. And we know, my professor says, that isn't true. Reason is totally corrupt. And I'm like thinking in class already the the Catholic thing, I think, is, you know, this germs of it were in me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, right. So what you're saying is the reason is bad, but you're reasoning that reason is bad. Right, right. right? And then the answer to that is, yes, but by the grace of the Holy Spirit and the mind of the elect, our reasoning is good. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to go spend any more time on this. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of yeah. weirdly incoherent. But there is within, I think, the Christian world generally, within Protestantism, and to some degree... I think even in parts of our culture that derived from that sort of reformed or Calvinistic notion, even parts of the evangelical world, this notion that anything that's not in the church. So where that that plays out is Mm -hmm. those of us who are in the church who are saved by Jesus, that's goodness. 
and everything outside of that is is badness or mm. depravity. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I think as we talk, when we eliminate all of these possibilities and get to what the Catholic Church actually says evil is, I think that'll shed some light on how we stand in opposition right. to that or what the difference is. So I'm swatting off the table the yep. notion of the dark side of the force. Mm -hmm. I'm swatting off the table the notion of kind of Calvinistic depravity of the world outside the right. saved. The third one I want to swat off the table is the notion that evil is nothing but a social construct. Sure. Right? Sure. So this is sort of the secularist notion. Yeah, that, a more modern one. Right? Yeah. The, the notion that societies just choose, cultures just choose to make these kind of subjective choices that <laughs> this is good, this is bad, right? That there's not a, an intrinsic evil or an intrinsic good. It, it's a matter of preference or of custom or of survival value or those kinds right. of things. Now, let's take a, something that's in the news every day right now. Mm -hmm. Let's take the transgenderism thing, where you sit there and say, well, hey, the argument would be your notions of male, female, good, bad, roles, what all this is all just a social construct. It has no intrinsic value. There's no intrinsic notion of the good for human life. It's That's all social construct. You see it right now. I mean, I just saw, was it yesterday, Canada just, I guess, made some move to legalize euthanasia for drug addicts. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you're poor, you're miserable, you're a drug addict, the government will be happy to pay the bill for your execution, pay the bill for sure. your execution. And in response to the outcry that this is evil, you go, well, you know, your notion that we should preserve life in certain ways is just a social construct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a social or, or construct becomes exchange. utilitarian in some, in many ways. It's what is useful to preserve or to do rather than what is good or evil. Right. And, you know, that is when we end up in this sort of awful place when we look at our society and we think of the admonition to, you know, of woe to those who call evil good, mm -hmm. uh, who look around at things that are intrinsic evil and we'll get to what those are in a moment uh, but then label those to be good because they're nothing but social constructs and we can basically make up our own law right, right okay so it's not the force it's not calvinist depravity outside the church not worldly depravity and it's not just a social construct mm -hmm. so when we remove all of those from the table what's left Corey? not really anything exactly yeah there's nothing left on the table which brings us to the catholic notion of evil, the nature of evil, which it is nothing, as in no thing. Mm -hmm. It is a void. When there's nothing left on the table, that's evil. It is non-being. It's it's a vacuum. Right. It, it's an absence of the good, um, something that should be. Exactly. Exactly. See, Catholicism teaches that evil is not a thing. It has no an ontological reality. It doesn't have an essence. In, in that uh, light and dark side of the force or or Manichaeism where there's a good God, it, there's, it's not like there's a thing out there that is an evil thing or an archon of evil or something. It, it's just deprived of a good that it ought to have. So when we talk about darkness, which is obviously a common metaphor mm -hmm. for evil, in a sense, darkness is the absence of light, and right. it's a fit metaphor, and it's a biblical metaphor. It is the absence of light. When we go to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God creates, Created. yeah, yeah. Let, there let, be, there be light. let there be light. And right there, we have the biblical notion, us the, us the Catholic notion, that God creates, and he creates light, and he creates being, and he creates truth and goodness and beauty. We'll get to that in a second. 
and those emanate from God. And the absence of those things, the void, the vacuum, is what is evil. Mm-hmm. You want to unpack that a little? Yeah, well, I think that one way to get at it that's really helpful is to talk about where evil, human evil, comes from or what the origin of it is. Because there's kind of the idea, especially with that more Calvinist idea of depravity, that when mankind fell, just everything is messed up. Uh, you sometimes hear the, the phrase a sin nature, like a positive thing that mankind now has that he didn't have before. In the Catholic view, it's it's understood as that. Man, that's, that is that Calvinist yeah. notion mm-hmm. of depravity, yeah. It's right. Good word. In the Catholic sense, there's an idea of having lost or forfeited something in the fall. In, in disobeying God, in choosing evil, man lost the gift of justice and goodness that God had given him. And then Adam and Eve passed on a, a not a totally depraved human nature in the sense that Calvinism teaches, but one that is missing something or that is kind of crippled in a certain way. And so it's not that the human nature becomes evil or becomes completely off base, but it's, it's missing something that it ought to have. Right. Right. You know, we talk all the time on the podcast here about the, th- the three transcendentals. Mm-hmm. And to, to be clear, when we go back to the history, Catholic history, and the doctors of the church and whatnot, I think Augustine, well, they've all said this, but in different ways, but Augustine sort of famously yeah, yeah. said, uh, how does he, basically, you know, evil is the absence of the good, right? Mm-hmm. And privation, the, yeah. The privation of good, and then a deprivation of the good. And then they you know, continually is unpacked throughout the doctors of the church and theology. Aquinas, you know, mm-hmm. as Aquinas is wont to do, unpacks it in umpteen layers of detail. But, you know, when we talk about the three transcendentals, you know, that the, the notion that Augustine says about the good, it, it might be, you might be able to look at that as a packaged notion of the transcendentals mm-hmm. because the transcendentals are, we're told, the essence of God's being, right? Yeah. There's truth and goodness and beauty. You know, I was teaching about this in one of the Lane classes, and the analogy that I that I came up with, I don't think I told you this, but <clears throat> I'll run it by you. <laughs> I hope it makes sense because, <laughs> well, I, because I told everybody in the class this. <laughs> did they nod and, and smile or did they look confused? They, they, a little, it was a little mixed reaction. Okay. Some nodded and smiled and some looked squinted at me and looked confused. But mm-hmm. I said, okay, so you're looking at your computer to monitor. We both have our little MacBooks in front of us. And when you look at a screen, an LCD screen, every image you see there is made up of one of three colors, mm-hmm. right? right? Pixels, red, green, blue, RGB. And so all of the colors, all of those images are combinations of red, green, and blue, right? Each pixel has a value. So if right, you get into right. graphic design, you'll say, this pixel has so much red, such a percentage of red, such a percentage of green, and such a percentage of blue, and you can blend colors, and then all of those pixels add up to be an image, right? right? right. So if you think of truth, goodness, and beauty that way, sort of the, the essence of God's being, what he projects into the created universe, everything that we see is some blend of truth and goodness and beauty. Some are 100% truth, some are 100% goodness, and some are 100% beauty, but there's all these blend. And then the complexity of the created universe is made up of those things that proceed from God. But when you have in graphic design the R value at zero, Mm -hmm. the G value at zero, and the B value at zero. So I know this is getting all mathematical, right? But if you have ever messed with color mixing on your computer, if you set all those values to zero, you get 
black, mm-hmm. just nothing. It's just an absence of color. And so I said, you know, this is, I mean, all, all metaphors, all analogies break down. Sure, right? sure. But I was trying to make this notion, uh, convey this notion that from God, he radiates his being, his essence into his created universe. Mm-hmm. He, he stamps it with his fingerprints, right? He imbues it with his character and the degree to which all of that adds up, right? So if you set the R value in color mixing to 100, the G value to 100, and the B value to 100, you get white. white. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, is that the absolute value of all that is the white and the goodness of God, mm-hmm. right? And the absence of all of that, no truth, no goodness, no beauty, no God, none of God's presence, none of God's character, none of God's essence, none, none of God's personality, none of that is just a void. It's just a dark void. And that, I mean, this is my analogy, which I'm sure breaks down. Someone's going to tell me. Oh, sure. I mean, you can't push it too far, but. But in some ways, it's a way to sort of think of it, that privation becomes just nothing. Yeah. I think it's helpful in another way, too, is that there isn't some I, well, I guess if you think about it in, in color theory, I guess there's an opposite of red on the color wheel or something. But it's it's not as if there's red and not red or, right. or blue and not blue that you can then play with if you're putting together a right. color. Um, there's either more or less of it in that. Right. Yeah, exactly. See, and I think what we're trying to get is the nature of God is to create. So the very first thing that we see in Genesis 1, the very the, – the very, first words of scripture the first things that we know are that god is a creative mm-hmm. and that he projects his creativity out right there's the idea that the good is effusive of itself it creates it loves yeah. it brings more things into being while as evil is destructive yeah let's let's drill down on that a little bit mm-hmm. because the as you say it's the consequence of this is that because the good is constructive the good mm-hmm. is creative the good makes things God in the beginning says, let there be light, and then he creates all these things. And then he creates beings in his image to be creators. Right, right. Right? So so they create life, right? I mean, Adam and Eve don't just go out and say, build huts in the garden or mm-hmm. something like that. They are capable of creating new life themselves in their being because mm-hmm. they're male and female, right? Right. So, so in the same way that God is a creator who creates the, the essence of creativity in us, right? Mm-hmm. Evil is the primate privation or the deprivation or the absence or the void of any of that. There is no truth. There is no goodness. There is no beauty. And it creates nothing. It makes nothing. In particular, it can't create life. It doesn't give life. It doesn't create life. It's just is an end of nothingness. Sometimes evil is described as being parasitic, that it sort of saps the strength of anything. Yeah, I've often thought of it that way, but I've also thought of it as vandalism. Mm. Yeah, that would address kind of the beauty aspect. Yeah, but because you think about, you know, like the the character of vandalism. So if you've got a, whatever it is, your school, your business, your church or whatever, and someone comes and just smashes and defaces, spray paints on things, kicks things over, there's a lot of that going right now in Catholic churches. You know, mm-hmm. our, our church is undertaking a, a new security system because we're in a place time now, unfortunately, we have to worry about people coming in and defacing the statue of the Virgin Mary or smashing things and, and mm-hmm. breaking things. But if you think about that, when someone comes in and does that, they, they don't make anything. Mm-hmm. They just they just 
they deface, they ruin, and they destroy. And I've often thought about evil that way in terms of what it does to human lives. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at what evil does to a human life, it just defaces the image of God. And I think we'll get into Satan and the demons mm-hmm. in the next conversation. But I think that evil hates the light. Like the darkness hates the light. That's mm-hmm. Gospel of John. Sure, sure. The darkness hates the light, and it wants to deface it and ruin it. And evil looks at the image of God in mankind and says, I want to vandalize it, to deface it, to mar it, to deform it. Yeah, all essentially to make it less of what it's intended to be. Exactly, exactly. And and when you think about all the ways that evil defaces a human life, vandalizes a human life, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it adds nothing. It creates nothing. It just ruins. Yeah. And so the nature of evil, again, is this privation of the good, and the good is the essence of God. So where there is no, where God's character isn't, where his creative uh, potency isn't, where his will and his word isn't, there's just a void of emptiness and darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what makes evil so truly frightening is you know, I, I, when I was in college, I took an entire semester. I, I don't know why I did this. It seemed like a, like so many things, like a good idea at the time. I took an entire semester grad class in Milton's Paradise Lost, mm. where we just analyzed this epic poem by Milton, who was a Protestant, so it was after the Reformation, and he wrote this great thing, Paradise Lost, about Satan's rebellion against God and how Satan falls. And, and it's there's these great lines in there where, you know, Satan's, this yeah. is an exact quote, but it's, you know, what it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. And Satan mm-hmm. shakes his, you know, fist against God. And, you know, looking back on that, it tries to make, I think, evil in a sense, if it's not make it seem good, but it seems... Milton's Satan comes off as noble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess there's there's question among scholars about whether that's how Milton meant it, but it's certainly how he was often interpreted, especially right. especially like in among your romantics who saw yeah rebellion and um, sort of uh, deviation from the from the social norms and from morality as as a noble thing. But I think Milton was self-consciously trying to write a Protestant version of, of, of Dante's Divine Comedy. Mm, sure. And because he, he wrote Paradise Lost and then Paradise Found or Regained. And when you contrast evil and hell in Milton versus Dante, Dante, of course, you know, being Catholic and being a sort of a artistic representation of the Thomistic universe, mm-hmm. Thomas Aquinas' universe, I think Dante gets it right because the further that Dante, the narrator, descends into the inferno, the further he descends into a void. Right. Everything that's good is is leaking out and going away. Um, the the obviously goodness itself, the people are are mired in sin, but there's there's metaphorical ways of seeing that, like the it, classically or famously, the the pit at the very bottom of hell is icy cold and Satan. And the worst of sinners are frozen there. Even the absence of heat and light, like all of all of the good positive things of the universe, are gone at that point. Yeah, I, I taught this year-long class in Dante, and and I had these illustrations 
um, that I gave the students, um, which obviously I can't show here. But what's interesting about that is he has this notion that when Satan fell from heaven, this is sort of the backstory, Mm -hmm. he hits the earth and creates this crater. And the crater goes down to the center of the earth. So Dante imagines, if you think of the earth as a ball, and then there's this this giant sort of V-shape, like a pie slice Mm. taken out of earth. And Satan is at the bottom of that. And the point of that is he's at the point furthest from God. Right. And the reason it's dark and cold is that the further you get away from the light and the warmth of God, you descend into just darkness and cold. It's Mm -hmm. back to that RGB thing that we were talking about. It's the absence of light and color and goodness. Mm -hmm. And you end up with nothing. And Satan at the bottom of that is simply frozen and he's dumb and mute. Right. And, having and as, lost intellect and will. Right. And as Dante is going down, the damned souls that he encounters are progressively losing or ha- have less and less of their reason and their yeah. will. They, they can't think right. Yeah. They can't make good decisions. They're just fighting brutally with each other in many cases. Yeah. They become like dumb beasts mm-hmm. having lost, as you say, intellect and will. And so I I think Dante gets that right, that he captures the notion of evil as the place furthest from God. Mm -hmm. And and in a sense, like you said, defacing their humanity, they they are unable to express their the image of God that is in them, which is their intellect and their will and their ability to love God and others. Which brings up another difference, I think, between Catholicism and uh, Calvinism. So in Calvinism, there's this famous acronym, the five points of Calvinism, Mm -hmm. TULIP. I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah, it comes up sometimes. But the first of those five points is total depravity. And the notion is that evil and good are sort of binary in Calvin's mind. You're either elected and in God by God's grace and choice, not by any grace or act of your own or even choice of your own or anything. Either God has saved you or he hasn't. And if you haven't, it's binary. It's total. Depravity corrupts absolutely everything so that there's nothing left when you're outside God's grace and will. Catholicism has uh, much more of a notion that there are degrees of evil. And I think it goes back to the things that we, the metaphors we've been using. So if you go back to that RGB uh, thing, color theory, or, you know, how your computer screen works, you know, you can set that R, G, or B value at 50% or 20% or 80%. You can adjust the brightness on the screen. You can adjust the brightness on your screen, right? So that things become darker and darker and darker. There's less and less light. And in the same way with, that was the whole genius, I think, of the way that Dante imagined the Inferno as this sort of funnel that he descends deeper because as the deeper he, you know, the deeper he goes, the further he gets from God. And so I think this is really an important point with respect to Catholicism is that it understands that there are degrees of evil Mm -hmm. because you can move further from God, further into the void And because of that, sin, there are gradations and complexities to sin that, you know, it isn't a place to talk about moral theology, but that moral theology unpacks, or that when you go into confession, that your confessor unpacks, right? Right, right. You want to unpack that a little bit? Oh, just just the the fact that there are degrees of of evil. I, I think this is something that we intuit many times. I mean, we all sin frequently, but we have a kind of a natural understanding that some of the things that I do 
are worse than others, or we we intuit that there are things that ought never to be done, no matter the circumstances. The the obvious contemporary example that comes to mind is the brutal acts of violence in Israel, especially against women and children. I mean, apart from whatever your political views, like whether there are issues there against the Palestinians or whatnot, it doesn't justify those actions. We understand that those actions are always evil, and they are a a grave evil because they are against people and especially innocent people. Whereas I do many sins that are not the the subject or the the victim you might say is is not harmed as much or the victim is not as as innocent or or what have you so so there are different ways sort of different uh, axes that you might assess this on and we can't exhaustively analyze it you know in the American evangelical world there is this sort of kind of whiff of Calvinism that runs through it. Sure. And so you've probably heard this, that all have sinned and fallen short, you know, all of your sins mm-hmm. separate you from from God. And, and to be fair, of course, that's a quotation from the book of Romans. So we've, we've got something very true there. It is. It's true. But how that is how you interpret un- it. unpacked, right? So I've heard any number of evangelical preachers say something to the effect of all sins remove you equally from God and right. call for repentance, which is true, but in some sense, it doesn't pass the smell test, which I think is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, going home yesterday, I drove 10 miles over the speed limit. That was wrong, and I shouldn't have done it. And it was disobedient to the laws of the land and maybe a disregard of charity for people I might run into or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. That's certainly not as bad as me going and committing serial murders and, you know, killing 12 mm-hmm. hitchhikers on the way home. Right. Th- those are obviously from a smell test two entirely, Mm. not in different things, but differences of degree. And that's because, again, if you have this sort of whiff of of Calvinism that says that evil is this sort of depravity, a sort of outsideness of God. kind of all or nothing. Yeah, Yeah. sort of all or nothing. Whereas if you say we can move further and further away from the light, further and away from God's presence, further and further into the darkness and the void, and as we go, but we can also choose to some degree with God's help to move back, mm-hmm. right? And every day we're deciding to step forward or step back right. with every choice we make. Right, and and where more theology often comes into play is availing oneself of God's grace in order to not make those choices for the smaller sins or the sins we call venial, going in the right direction, avoiding them so that you're not like stepping stones, stepping from venial sin to venial sin until you hit the mortal sins. It's often literally a kind of descent that the more small sins that you commit, the more likely you are going to commit a larger one. Well, yeah. When I was a Protestant pastor, I I was never a confessor. We didn't have confession, Mm -hmm. but I certainly had umpteen zillion conversations with people about their moral choices, private conversations. And it always struck me, just to pick an example of, of the guy who has an affair, pick a guy right Mm -hmm. and the guy who has this affair and he comes in he says well you know i had an affair with my secretary or whatever right and 
he's like, well, it's a, it just happened. Right. I made one bad decision. Right. I made one bad decision. Just happened. I go, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, dude. <laughs> hold your horse. Hold on, dude. Because because there's probably like 20 steps in this thing, mm-hmm. right? So first you made untoward comments, and then you texted her, and then you did this, and then you booked the weekend away, and then you mm-hmm. lied to your wife about going on a business trip, and then you did this, and then you and then you got in the car and you drove right. to the hotel, and you and, had to make a decision. You had to exercise your will. Each each stage along the way. At each of those steps, you kind of passed a gate. Well, and, and you and, blew and, right through all right. the gates. Well, and, and even all the things you're talking about are directly related to to committing that particular sin. I mean, because that's a sin of lust. Put it this way: any behavior or acceptance of mental attitudes that are lustful that you allowed in your life led you down towards those concrete actions. Right. Right. Exactly. And with each of those steps, now you, you were moving further and further. You were compounding. You were, you were stepping further away from God mm-hmm. with each of those steps. So back to Dante's. In fact, it's interesting with Dante, right? When you look at the inferno and you look at the nature of evil and the sins, what's at the different levels, right? Sure, so you've sure. got, you know, all these nine levels of, you know, hell, the inferno. And what's at the top and what's at the bottom? And you know what's at the top? Yeah. Like the less bad than the first thing? Right. Of the seven, it's lust. It, 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 it's lust, right? Because it's like, okay, well, all right. But when you get to the bottom, you know what the bottom is? It's pride. Treason. Yeah. But yeah, treason is a, is a subset of pride. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So at the bottom, the, the worst sinners are those who betrayed. Mm-hmm. Because there were all these things that you did to move further and further and further away in a sense, ultimately betraying God, since moving away into the dark and into the void. Well, and just to take that example, we talked earlier about um, evil as being a, a lack of truth and goodness and beauty, those characteristics of God. Just take that as a concrete example. Like you had to lie in order to do that. That's falsehood. That was a, a, a deprivation of truth. You violated the beauty of your marriage and of this this covenant, the sacrament that, that God has given you and the life that you have together with your spouse. What the other one is, is goodness. You've obviously allowed moral corruption in your life if this is a decision that you're going to make. So you've kind of allowed all of truth, goodness, and beauty each in its own way to drain away in order to lead you into a place where you can commit a mortal sin. Um, with the time left, let's talk about a yeah, couple yeah. things. Um, first is the types of evil. So we've been concentrating on moral evil, right? Right. Uh, but there's there's other aspects of evil. W- one is sometimes called, and we talk about the nature of evil, natural evil. Mm-hmm. But it really is, it's, although it's called that, it's, it, it's something of a misnomer. So the notion of natural evil is that when, when the world or the universe, when the cosmos fell, right, into sin, mm-hmm. that the consequences of that sin warped the natural universe. So, you know, with Adam and Eve in the garden, things were in a state of shalom and harmony, between God and man and amongst men and between man and the earth, right? And God mm-hmm. and the earth. Well, what ends up happening is now cancer enters the world and earthquakes and, you know, 10,000 right. other things that, that sort of go wrong. But I think it's important to remember that cancer or earthquakes or whatever are not in and of themselves morally evil because it's just a thing. It's right? not as if the earth is choosing to have an earthquake in order to... 
Yeah, there's not a moral agent there that's making a decision. What you have is because we as the stewards and moral agents chose to move away from God, that had consequences. There was a sort of a corruption to the world. That's why Paul talks about in Romans 8, right, that the, the corruption that the world has been subjected to. Mm-hmm. Because of the moral choices of of man, will someday be liberated? The creation longs to be restored, mm-hmm. but we do live in a world which is corrupted by evil, right? Which is yeah. different from saying that the world itself is evil, mm-hmm. right? It's natural in the sense that it affects nature or creation, cool. not in the sense that it's supposed to be there as part of the order. So of the clear up. And then the other one is social evil. So mm-hmm. we get into the notion of 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 cultures and civilizations and structures within right, culture right. and civilizations so we can think of you know obvious things like slavery or racism or oppression or whatever and you know less obvious ones or whatever right but we can we can look at that when you have all these individual moral choices that people have made that the aggregate and the accumulation of that is sometimes that we build up systems structures cultures civilizations that have evil aspects and evil in the sense that those no longer reflect the truth and goodness and beauty of God. Right, exactly, because people's actions and choices and attitudes are mutually reinforcing to each other and culture and law and politics form us in the ways that we behave and the ways that we think. It doesn't take away our free will in some determinative way, but it does have a huge effect. This is probably a whole other episode, right? But I think this is an important distinction to make because I, I think that the secular notion, and again, I hate to drag you know some of the stuff into here, but but like if you look at sort of a, a Marxist narrative, the Marxist narrative is that evil is a result of these social structures. Mm-hmm. rather than a consequence of them. Right, it's, it's sort of ba- exactly backwards. It's exactly backwards, right? So it says there are all these social structures and civilizational structures and values and whatever and systems, and those systems are bad, and so they make people do bad things, rather than we as free moral agents, the aggregate of all of our free moral choices is that we build up, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the Tower of Babel, we build up these systems and structures that are bad. Right. And you can see where that you end up with that that view because of course I didn't choose the culture I was born into. Like like I didn't I didn't build this all by myself, but I am part of it and it was produced by hundreds or thousands or millions of people over however much time. Yeah, but but it does what 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 that narrative does is it sort of absolves us of our Mm -hmm. individual moral choices and it makes everything collective and it and one of the things it does again this should probably be another conversation is it shifts the burden of moral responsibility away from the individual to the system so that salvation from evil becomes a matter of voting the right way or having the right politics that will mm. change the world rather than you change you know if you look in the gospels that they were living in a s- system in the roman empire that's about as bad mm-hmm. full of systemic evil as you could have and yet all of these people in the gospels make choices and moral choices for the right to mm-hmm. choose the gospel to choose christ to, you know and these right. kinds of things yeah it, it comes down to what what is the fix repentance or revolution yeah and then uh, another thing th- we'll have to talk about, I think this is going to have to be seen in another episode, is I'd like to get into moral theology and what mm-hmm. intrinsically moral, intrinsically evil acts are. Sure, sure. That's a whole other way to go. But I do want to talk about two last things before we run out of time in this episode, just run a little bit long, that 
are sticking points, and I can already see that these are just going to have to carry over to other conversations. Sure, we can we can just get a taste of them here. But the first is theodicy, and the second is eschatology. So to use two big theology words, theodicy. What's theodicy, Corey? In very short terms, it's the problem of evil. Why should there be evil if, as we said, God is good and he created a good universe? The justice of evil. Mm-hmm. So, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a short book called The Problem of Pain. If mm-hmm. God is so good, then why do we suffer pain and evil in this world? Why would God create a universe in which there would be a void, where there would be voids of him, where people could move mm-hmm. away from him? And the quick answer, which we'll have to unpack, because... This this has been written about. Oh sure, I mean you see this in the Psalms. I mean it's not the whole book of Job is about. It's fundamental. This is the whole book of Job. Like why, why, why? Um, So we'll have to come back to it. But the short, quick answer from Catholic theology or Catholic doctrine is it's a consequence of God of of having free moral agents. Mm -hmm. So God created a universe in which. He, he placed us in his image, and just as God has intellect and will and can make choices, we had the opportunity to make choices. Mm-hmm. And having the opportunity to choose God freely means that we also had to have the opportunity to not choose him. Mm-hmm. And so there is a sense of risk that God takes by creating free creatures. If you look at the animals— who do not have the the capacity to make moral choices. As much as I love my dog, my dog doesn't make moral choices mm. in the same way that a human does, right. right? So God could have just created us as an animal, but he gave us the capacity to love him freely, which also means the capacity to be the prodigal son and run away from him. And the theodicy, the justice of that, that brings us to eschatology. Mm-hmm. Because, which is a fancy word meaning the the last thing, right, how it yeah. ends, how does the story end? Right, right. And, and I think phrasing it as a story is, is exactly the right way to do it. Because when we're reading a good story, you know, you are you have conflict in it, and you want resolution at the end. You you want it to be to be tied up, and for there to be some some justice. And so, what we read is the cool thing is we know how this story ends, mm-hmm. and it ends redemptively. There's a short book that really had a huge influence on me. It's not more than 100, 125 pages. I read it, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years ago. It's called Christ the Tiger by Thomas Howard. And it's sort of this guy's spiritual journey, but he talked about the concept of redemptiveness. Mm-hmm. That in the end, if what God says is, hey, I know the world really sucked, and it was full of all this evil and suffering and pain. But don't worry, because someday you get to go to a cloud and pluck a harp mm-hmm. and drink out of a golden bowl. Just escape from it all. It's yeah. an escapism. Like, like there's no amount of like God buying you off mm-hmm. that makes up for all of that, right? I mean, that was Howard's big insight in the book was, so wait a minute. All of these terrible things happen in this universe, right? Like, you, you know, I mean, all the horrible things have happened in wars and cancer and children and death and sorrow and slavery and, you know, on and on and on. The whole, the whole sad story of humanity, all of that pain. And he goes, if the bargain is God says, hey, don't worry about it. Someday it's like, no big deal, my bad. You get all, you're going to cloud and here's your harp and here's your gown and here's your golden bowls and, you know, whatever. Like, wait a minute, what about all of that? And his big insight was that God doesn't make it just go away. He redeems it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And that's the great story is that we read in Revelation 21, right? That in the end, after he wraps it all up, and we'll have to do an episode about that. But in the end, John says, I see the new, the, the new heaven and the new earth in which there is no more mourning, not mourning like as right. in sunrise, M-O-U. but mourning like sadness, no more crying and no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. And all of that sadness and pain has been redeemed and transformed and made into the new heaven and a new earth will be sweeter because we passed through all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think always the thing that strikes me about that is that the risen Christ has scars. Right. You right. know, the risen Christ after he appeared could have just been made new, but he isn't. The scars are part of who he is, and it is through that redemptive thing. So the whole issue of the injustice of evil, all of the things that evil brings, the privation of God in this world, when God restores that, in some way we will understand that it's better. And this brings us, and we'll wrap with this, right? Going all the way back to Augustine, this whole uh, notion of the happy fall. Mm-hmm. Felix Culpa, you want yeah. to kind of end on that one? Yeah, so this this is a phrase that's taken from the exaltet. It's a, it's a chant as part of the Easter Vigil when we're celebrating that Christ's victory over sin and, and death and all evil is, is ha- so happy a fault that gained for us so great a redeemer that as bad as the fall is, as the cause of all the misery and pain and evil and sin throughout history, there's a sense in which it was good like the the god only allowed it because he is able to bring a greater good from it we could generalize that and say god only allows any evil because he can bring a greater good from it and so the the greatest evil in in the world the fall that that brought humanity into sin in the first place god fixes it but he he redeems he he brings about something that's better than would have happened if it hadn't if there hadn't been a fall to begin with through Christ's blood. Yeah. And so in the end, the nature of evil is that distance from God, that absence of light, that absence of truth, goodness, and beauty, that void, that nothingness. And the remedy for that is to move towards God. And I think that's one of the things about Catholicism that struck me is it offered me a constructive way. And and again, you don't earn your way into heaven. You don't, you Mm. don't get there by just treading that path alone, Mm -hmm. but by God's grace and the Holy Spirit and the sacraments, it gives me a way to move consistently, steadily to sort of walk that, walk that road closer and closer to, to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks, Corey. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think.